For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that he may grant you in accord with the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner self, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the holy ones what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to accomplish far more than all we ask or imagine by the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So last Sunday, I launched us in this Advent season under this title that you have been chosen and you are being sent. We started by basically mapping out the fact that with all of the training that we've been receiving from the Amazing Parish Movement and how they kind of, they've been helping uh, me and and my parish leadership team develop into a healthier team and, and what that looks like from going from the pastor to a parish leadership team to the, to the rest of the staff, to the parish, to the world, how that works. We kind of leaned in towards the end of last week's talk by the importance of building a culture of prayer. And that's the first culture that we need to build because we can't really be a healthy team unless we are building it on the foundation of a of culture of prayer. And then, so today we are going to dig in a little deeper on the culture of healthy teamwork. And next Sunday, we will be talking about active discipleship. But the relationship between a culture of prayer and the culture of healthy teamwork is incredibly important. And it's, it's what I love about the uh, Acts 29 group, when Father John Ricardo was talking about, he was presenting this to us, priests of the archdiocese, he just talked about how his team, how they kind of go about, you know, and they're, when they're engaging in particular conversations or conflict, or they're trying to come up with, a, with, a, with some type of a solution to a real problem or what their mission is going to be, how they literally as a team will go back and forth from the chapel to pray, to the workroom to discuss and argue. No, no conclusion, back to the chapel to pray, back to the conference room. And I love that so much because it maintains having Christ at the center 
of the decision making. And I, I just, I, I really enjoyed that greatly. And last week, I, I asked you to kind of, your homework was to pray to the Holy Spirit and asking the Holy Spirit to place on your heart who it was that one person or family that God wanted you to disciple. And I wanted you to also think about who he was going to team you up with. Because as we are going to see today, he always sends us out in twos or more. He sends us out as teams. And that's why we're going to spend a little time in talking about what is the process of having a healthy team? How do we build a culture of having a healthy team? The Amazing Parish would map out the five behaviors of a team, and they would see healthy. And that would be kind of, they, they utilize, I don't know if we were, were we able to come up with a, oh yeah, we got it. There it is. Trust. Trust is that bottom foundation. We can't have a healthy team unless the team trusts each other. It's not going to work. It's going to be a problem. And then we have conflict. Conflict. That sounded awful when I first saw that in the first training. But without good, solid conflict, without the team being able to talk to each other, discuss with each other, argue with each other a little bit, there really isn't going to be a whole lot of advancement. Commitment. We all, we all got to buy in on this. You know, even when, as a team, when there's one person who just does it, their holdouts. I'm not in agreement. Commitment is that part that basically says, okay, well, have you been, do you feel like you've been heard? Yes. Can you commit? Can you put the team ahead of you? Accountability. Accountability is one of those um, areas that is, it's really hard, especially accountability. How do you, as the CEO, how do you, as the pastor, how do you, as the bishop, how do you, how do you allow yourself to be held accountable? But yet it's so incredibly important for us to allow ourselves to be accountable and the rest of the team as well. And this is my favorite one. The very tip of the, of the, of the pyramid is results. It's the last. And which is kind of weird because as I was beginning, all my time when I was working for Northrop Grumman and everything else, it was kind of results-driven. And the process that we were using to build military bombers was not this. But I wanted to kind of just talk through a little bit. Pat Lencioni, 
He wrote a book, it's one of his, one of his bestsellers, it's uh, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And he actually, is fun that you talked about it. he chose that title because he didn't think that he would sell as many books if he said the five healthy functions of a team. <laughs> so people are always gonna wanna dig into the negativity, right? But he, he, he does a good job of kind of just giving the differences between, you know, when we take a look at the, the foundation, the importance of trust, where he says members of a team with an absence of trust. This is, what, this is what that team looks like. They conceal their weaknesses and mistakes from one another. They hesitate to ask for help or provide constructive feedback. They hesitate to offer help outside their own areas of responsibility. They jump to conclusions about the intentions and aptitudes of others without attempting to clarify them. They fail to recognize and tap into one another's skills and experiences. They waste time and energy managing their behaviors for effect, hold grudges, dread meetings, and find reasons to avoid spending time together. I would have to say in our early days, as I, I could see, there was, lack, there was definitely a lack of trust in our staff. There was a lack of trust in, in, in even the budding PLT. And we really had to dig in on, on, these, on these principles of building trust. We had to get to a point where we admitted our weaknesses and mistakes. We had to ask for help accept questions and input about their areas of responsibility. Give one another the benefit of the doubt before arriving at a negative conclusion. Take risks and offering feedback and assistance. Appreciate and tap into one another's skills and experiences. Focus time and energy on important issues not politics, and offer and accept apologies without hesitation. Look forward to meetings and other opportunities to work as a group. And I'm just gonna go up one more rung on the, on the, The teams that fear conflict have boring meetings. That's one of my favorite ones. They create environments where back-channel politics and personal attacks thrive. Ignore controversial topics that are critical to team success. They fail to tap into all the opinions and perspectives of team members. They waste time and energy in posturing and interpersonal risk management. Team that engage in conflict have lively, interesting meetings. Extract and exploit the ideas of all team members. Solve real problems quickly. Minimize politics. Put critical topics on the table for discussion. 
It gives you a flavor of kind of where Pat Lencioni is going with the difference between a healthy and a not so healthy team dynamic. And what's good is that he's writing this particular fable for a bunch of, you know, CEOs of companies. But as I mapped out last, last week, it works very well as we are developing a good solid leadership team here in the parish. And in, you know, even in any type of teamwork that we have, whether it be sports or whatever else, if we can't build these, these, these cultures and, and these, use these tools and, and build this pyramid with trust, conflict, commitment, accountability, we, we are not going to be very uh, successful. When I was in Spain, I knew I was going to give these three talks. I had a very strong feeling that these talks were going to be, they were going to be transitional for St. Pius X. Again, I'm only trying to change my circle of influence. That's St. Pius X. I was pretty excited about building the culture of prayer and the culture of active discipleship. But even after I got back from visiting Lourdes, after I got back from La Sagrada Familia, being able to celebrate Mass in all those holy places, and I was truly moved by visiting, you know, um, Avila and St. Teresa of Avila's, uh, where she, where she, her convents were, St. John of the Cross, as they're building this, this the Descalced Car Carmelite Order, a reformed order of the Carmelites, to spend time with these brothers and sisters of our, of our salvation history who were living in times much like ours, a time which the church had become very, very powerful, but yet started living and becoming way too comfortable with its ways of being and took for granted the deposit of faith and the sacramental life that they were given. They became lackadaisical. And the people outside of the church who lived, you know, outside at an Avila, they, they actually joked about when uh, St. Teresa wanted to build another comet for this, for this new reformed order of the Carmelites. They laughed at her. Why do we need another convent? This little city of Avalon was filled with them, mostly for the rich and the educated and the upper class. And the other, the other people who lived in the city just laughed at it as a joke. No one's living the gospel. They say they are, but they looked with disdain at the church. And that's what St. Teresa and John of the Cross were trying to reform and reshape to get more disciplined as the church in this new reformed community. To sit there and find a way that we are, need to engage and to make the gospel once again heart piercing for the people with whom they will proclaim it. I came home Still not knowing what I was going to, I didn't understand exactly 
It was the Sunday morning. I was doing my morning prayers. Right before Mass. And I was asking the Lord, Lord, I have no idea what I'm going to say about the culture of healthy teamwork. No idea. And immediately, the, the, the memory of the 72 came to my mind. Remember the sending of the 72. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 12. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others whom he sent ahead of him in pairs to every town and place he tended to visit. He said to them, the harvest is abundant, but the laborers are few. So ask the master of the harvest to send out laborers for his harvest. Go on your way. Behold, I am sending you like lambs among wolves. Carry no money bag, no sack, no sandals, and greet no one along the way. Into whatever house you enter, first say peace to this household. If a peaceful person lives there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in the same house and eat and drink what is offered to you for the laborer deserves his payment. Do not move about from one house to another. Whatever town you enter and they welcome you, eat what is set before you, cure the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God is at hand for you. Whatever town you enter and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, the dust of your town that clings to, your, to our feet, even that we shake off against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God is at hand. I tell you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom on that day than for that town. What can we learn by this sending? Jesus is giving them some training. Jesus is giving us some training. We don't need to figure this out. We don't need really another program. What we need to do is go back to this moment where he is sending the 72. But Father, I don't know the story of all the gospels. I don't have them memorized. I don't even know the whole catechism of the Catholic Church. It's okay, neither did they but he sends them. He sends them with a proclamation, but he sends them with a message first. Whatever house you enter, peace to this household. Every single one of us can have a message of peace for every household we enter. Every single one of us can do that. That's not hard. That's not even risking a whole lot. And if a peaceful person lives there, your peace will rest on them. Our peace can be given. It really can. And I'm gonna share some stories. 
Whatever town you enter, and they welcome you. Eat what is set before you. Cure the sick in it. Can we cure the sick? The power of Jesus Christ gives it to us. We sure can. We can cure a lot of things. Sicknesses that we can't even see. Sicknesses like hopelessness and despair. We can cure that. And say to them, the kingdom of God is at hand for you. I can't think of any message that's more needed these days than that message. This world in its craziness has not stolen this world away from God's kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. Emmanuel is with us. But the world is crying for messengers of this reality. Crying. And even if we are rejected, the Lord instructs us, kick the dust off your feet. Don't take the negativity with you. Move on. But don't move on before you remind them so they're properly warned that the kingdom of God is at hand. It is here. And if you go through all four Gospels, every single time Jesus sends out his disciples, even when he's just sending out the 12, he does it two by two. And and in, in Matthew's Gospels, chapter 10, he sits there, and this is where, where I kind of want to gather us a little bit and focus us up a little bit. He sends them out to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He tells them not to go out to the Gentiles. Go to the lost sheep of Israel. I find that interesting and important because I think that's what we need to do. We've been throwing around the need for evangelization, the need for going out and, you know, and, and, and changing hearts in, in, in our world, and, and, we, and we want to fix the world. But again, most of that stuff is in our circle of concern, not our circle of influence. One of the things I've been really listening to a lot lately and paying attention to and having a lot of questions, I have more questions than answers. And that's why I'm enlisting your help. I have more questions than answers. People ask me, and I gave a homily a little over a month ago. We have this huge school, more students in it than we've ever had before, ever. It's huge, like 530 students, somewhere in there. Most of them are Catholic. And on Sunday, we will get a number of families who will attend Mass. And over and over again, and I want to be clear, and I'm going to say some things that are going to be challenging. But it's not me in judgment, it's just facts. People ask me all the time, Father, where are the other families? 
Why aren't they coming to Mass? And I stated in my homily, the truth to that answer for me is I don't know. I don't know why. And a lot of times people will ask me, older parishioners who are, you know, maybe sent their kids to the school, maybe they didn't, but they definitely raised kids. And a lot of them, their kids aren't practicing the faith anymore either. And we want to challenge why those families in the school aren't coming to Mass. I'm always thinking to myself a little bit, where are your kids? Where'd they go? I don't know. I don't know. But I would really love to find out. And I think the only way we're going to find out, and I would like us to kind of zero in on those people that we're praying for, to zero in a little bit more on those, those, lost, the, those lost children of God, those, those who have been baptized in the faith, those who have been taught the faith, those who have just kind of have wandered away. I would like us to be, have that sense of going and discipling them. And that doesn't mean changing them and converting them or anything else. Conversion is God's job, not ours. But to go and accompany them to find out why. What's holding them back? What's keeping them where they are? And I don't stand here in judgment before anybody. My family is no different than anyone else's. But I did have a conversation. I challenged myself. I said, I'm going to preach to you guys. I need to step it up. So I actually had a good conversation with, with my nieces, my goddaughter's husband. We were sitting in the jacuzzi in Houston. And he opened the door because I was giving him my biblical worldview of a particular situation in our world. And so he asked me some questions, some faith-based questions. And so I finally just asked him, I said, you know, when you were, Amanda were married, you really had a strong the two of you had a strong sense that you were going to move forward in getting your kids baptized and you yourself maybe getting baptized of really jumping into this practice of faith. I'm not judging you. I just would like to know and I want to ask, can you tell me why you haven't? His answer was, came pretty quick. And it was way simple. He said, I think our life became really comfortable. It's going pretty good. 
we don't want anything to mess it up. And I know that following Christ is messy. So I couldn't tell him that that wouldn't happen. But what I did tell him is that there's a difference between being comfortable and being filled with joy. And I wanted to let him know that you are still missing something that God wants for you. So I'm going to ask you to pray about it again. And he promised me he would. I don't know what those encounters are going to look like. But I do think we just need to, you know, the type where we got to train ourselves up because what I want to send you out next week is really going to be about this sending. And we need to be prepared to have these types of conversations. We don't need to be worried about what God, you know, how they're going to respond to us or anything else. We just need to accompany them. And this mission that I want to engage us in is a marathon. It's not a sprint. You're not going to have answers for me next month. There's no expectation for that. It's about a company. It's about staying with. It's about keeping your faith on the forefront, not hiding it, not quit worrying about whether or not it's going to offend somebody. Because you have no idea of how your faith might heal somebody. Simple reminders that there is something greater, that I live for something greater than myself in a public place changes things. It changes the whole environment. And I've seen this over and over and over again. I've shared this story. You know, one of the things that, one of the reasons why I love being a chaplain to law enforcement was that it gave me an opportunity to be a minister, to be a disciple before years, many years before I was ever ordained. So the sacraments were not a part of my ministry. I was ministering mostly to non-Catholics. I was ministering to a group of people that most people find very difficult to minister to. And I, and I, got, to, I got sent and I, was, and I got taken to places that were, were really dark, really bad. But one of the beautiful things is, is that it was all about a company, joining up with, getting into a car with another human being who had a heart for service, who had a really hard thing to do, and to sit there and just to watch, listen, and to, and to, to be able to be that sense of peace, that messenger of grace, that messenger of, of hope, to a people, and it's so amazing that it just over and over again, it would have its effects. I'm remembering one of my favorite moments where right towards the end, I, I'd received my call to come here to St. Pius X. And the first time I met this officer in Ashland Police Department, he told me clearly, angrily, very forcefully, he was an atheist. He wanted to hear nothing about my religion. Nothing. Okay. So I'm thinking to myself, no ride-alongs with him. And then a couple months goes down, and one of the SOU students 
gets run over and killed in the crosswalk at night. And the sergeant tells him that he has to go and pick me up from my house to go and help make a death notification with a family that is in Southern California and is Spanish-speaking only. And so he comes by, I get in his car, and he reminds me, I am an atheist, and I want to hear nothing about your, your religion. And I looked at him. Noted, can we go do our job now? So he went off. And he watched me. And all I did was my job. I went to the hospital. I got the facts. I got the information from the school. I was able to make a phone call. And in Spanish, I give this family the awful news their daughter died that night. And after making the connections and getting the all, giving the family all the information they needed so that they could come up and be present up in Ashland, and I would end up doing the, the memorial service for their family. They were non-Catholics, unchurched. That officer at the end of that call, I thought he would just take me directly back home. You wanna do dinner? Sure. He and I became really close. We never, and I never talked religion to him. And after four years, four years, that's why it's a marathon. Four years after just spending time with him, I'm in his car the last time before I come to Portland, St. Pius X. I'm in his car, the end of shift. He sits there and he says to me, he goes, I am angry with you. Why? Why have you never tried to convert me? <laughs> I said, well, because I've watched you and I've come to know that our God works anonymously a lot. And I've seen him using you as you help others. And the other thing that I come to know and I know from the deepest part of my being is that although you want to say that you're an atheist, this is what I sit here next to you today knowing from the bottom of my heart that one day you and my boss are gonna meet and you will be an atheist no more. And he just grabbed the steering wheel and he goes, that really freaks me out. <laughs> but I came up here to Portland, I left Ashland and a year and a half later, He's helping his daughter with the science project and it blows up in his face. And he's got, he gets life flighted to the burn unit up here in Portland. And the first thing before he gets on the life flight, he calls one of his best friends and he says, can you ask Padre to meet me there? And so I get a phone call. 
And I go. And I walk into the room, and he's a mess. His wife is a mess. And I said, well, I don't think you called me here to just hang out with you, did you? Can I give you a blessing and pray with you? And he said, yes. I have no idea how long things are going to take. But we just have to go there. We have to allow ourselves to, to accompany people, be where they are, meet them where they're at, but be who God intends us to be. We don't need to take on their environment. We don't need to take on their negativity. We don't need to do anything. We need to maintain who we are. That's why we have to, we can't go forward unless we are totally just engrossed in a culture of prayer. We can't take things on like that unless we are truly praying these things through. I prayed a lot for this officer. I think we just, as we, as we continue to kind of build our teams and we start moving into this, you know, whoever you are going to work with, whether it's your, it's, you're going to do a husband or wife team, whether you're going, to, you're going to work with a friend, whoever this is that God is going to send there and put on your heart, go and find some information out. Accompany these people. Ask the hard question. If you have a kid who's like really, a child who's just really not part of the faith, go find someone else that can go have this conversation with them. But let's find out what's going on. It could very well be, as I said last Sunday, Father John Ricardo put it out, the gospel messages become boring. Sad, but if that's the truth, then we have to proclaim it in a different way. Let's find out. We'll never know how to minister and we'll never know how to invite unless we find out where their truth is. And so that's what I want to pray. I, wa I want you all to pray for. I want you to, you know, we are a people who truly are. We've been created in God's likeness and image for his good and holy purpose. We have been captured by the reality that evil exists and he wants to destroy us. But we have been rescued. We have been rescued by a savior, word made flesh who dwells among us and his kingdom is at hand. But he awaits a response. Not the response of the St. Teresa's, or the St. John of the Cross. Response from me. Response from Donna. Response from every single one of us who hold the name of Christian. Because see, that good news is now ours to proclaim. So I ask that you pray this week.
before we get into being sent. Ask for the graces of gratitude. Gratitude that you actually have been chosen and given the Holy Spirit its power to be able to engage this work. The grace of surrender. Surrender your fear. Surrender what you think they will think of you. Surrender the laziness, the spiritual laziness that's kept us comfortable. And pray for the grace of courage. We'll need courage. Courage to go to whomever he sends us. Courage to stay as long as it takes till the message has been given. Courage to be rejected. The disciples were rejected. Courage to speak peace into people's homes and lives. Courage to proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand in its way bigger, better, more beautiful, more just, more compassionate, more loving than anything this world is currently offering. The stewards of that message are sitting in this church, watching the live stream, or will later watch it on video recorded. Jesus is literally asking each of us, pick up your cross, follow me. And I'll make the argument next week that that invitation is very good news.